Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Unplayable Podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Sam Ferris here, and today you'll be hearing from former Australia captain Lisa Stalaker and new Lend-Lease Breakers captain Alyssa Healy. We're going to start with Australia's Qantas Tour of England, where the Aussies lost the fifth and final ODI in Manchester by one wicket in an absolute thriller. Joss Butler proved the difference and why he's perhaps the best one-day player in the world at the moment with a brilliant century to guide England to a 5-0 whitewash. Lisa, you stayed up and watched every ball as part of Channel 9's coverage. England too good yet again. England are impressive. They've, they've got a winning formula at the moment. They've got a core group of players that know their roles and that are able to execute. Their batting order is dynamic. Uh, you've got Roy and Bairstow, who I think um, have the most century opening stands in any English pair, and they've only batted together 16 times. <laughs> so they're, um, they've been able to convert those those 16 innings, I think, I think five or six century partnerships. And then you've got Hales, you've got Root. Root comes in when there's a bit of damage. He's not necessarily your hitter compared to everyone around. You've got Morgan, who's your worker as well. And then Joss Butler, like you said, uh, I've been so impressed with him since the IPL. When he went up the batting order for the Rajasthan Royals, he has just been on fire. And he brought that back into the test arena and now has brought it into the one-day format as well. There's been a lot of talk about this series and the 5-0 whitewash. There are a few positives uh, on the losing team, but there were a few for, for Australia. Let's go through them, some of them now, Lisa. Let's start off with big Billy Stanlake. He's about three metres tall. He bowls about 170 kilometres per hour, but he was, um, he was fantastic. For a young bowler coming back from injury, I think he was clocking the speed gun at about 150 kilometres per hour, or was it 93 miles per hour? I get the conversion a little bit mixed yeah. up, but something like that. He only took the six wickets, but well, bowled with good pace, good accuracy, and on that Manchester wicket that was doing a little bit, got a little bit of bounce of it, it's actually proved to be quite a handful. He troubled a lot of the English uh, batsmen when he got it in the right area. That short of a length, he didn't try and pitch it up. He wasn't trying to swing the ball. He banged the ball in. And you're right, Manchester the pitch just allowed extra bounce in carrier. And he caught a lot of the batsmen you know, in no man's land. They weren't going forward or back and, and were bold because of it. Uh, he's exciting. The big question is, uh, and I'm sure the, the support staff will do everything in, in their powers to make sure that he's fit going through. You know, he had a toe injury which um, kept him out of a game. Um, so fingers crossed he can stay fit because, you know, when you think of the, the likes of Starks, Cummins, Hazelwood coming back and you've got Billy Stanlake as your, your fourth option potentially, you know, he might actually push one of those guys out depending based on form or conditions or opposition. So that that will certainly excite Justin Langer. And he's probably, and no disrespect to Billy, but he's maybe the third run because not only the three fastballs you mentioned, but there's no Nathan Coulton-Isle, there's no Jason Berendorf, there's no James Pattinson. So there's a lot of fastballing depth there for Australia. And to see Billy 
plays so well. And Kane Richardson, he was also the equal leading wicket taker for Australia with six wickets in three games, and his economy rate and average was quite good as well. So the, the fast bowling and depth is there, but this was very much a series dominated by the batsmen. Sean Marsh, Australia, um, Sean Marsh for Australia, he scored 200s, a leading run scorer. I would have thought maybe a surprise inclusion, but given the suspensions of Smith and Warner, they needed that senior player to come in there and bolster that top of the order, and at least he did a fantastic job. 12 months ago, everyone would have thought, Sean Marsh in the one-day side? No, I don't think so. I think we've got to other players, but you're right. Circumstances have allowed him to come back into the team, and you talk about players taking this opportunity, and let's you know, remember that the World Cup is in a year's time. Yes, we've got six, seven players out of our current one-day international team. But what it does do, is it gave players an opportunity to put their hands up. And Sean Marsh took it. Uh, he was really the glue within the Australian batting order. So, you know, he allowed, you know, the stroke makers to go around him and he was batting time. And he converted. Once he got in, he converted into big scores, and that was that was something exciting to see. Something that I'm sure Travis Head will look at and go, right, you know, I got you know I th- think three fifties in a row at the back end of the series, but he didn't convert where Sean Marsh did. So, moving forward, you would imagine that Sean Marsh is in the one day squad. Does he make the team when all of those players come back? Well, that's a question for the selectors and the balance of the side, but certainly he's given himself the, the best opportunity. The only other century maker for Australia was Aaron Finch, who had an interesting series being moved and pushed and prodded around the order, batting at number five for the first time in his career. End of the end of the series, he went back up to open at least, and he got 100, and I guess that really is his spot in the, in the batting order, isn't it? The Australians tried to put Finch in the middle because they realise they need someone who's comfortable against spin, who can keep the scoreboard ticking along. Someone like a, a Marcus Stoinis or even Travis Head who was trialled in the middle order didn't necessarily keep the scoreboard going in the right direction. So the Australian selectors thought, well, we'll take our best opener <laughs> who scored the most, who scored 10 centuries yeah. at the top, five, ag- five of them against England. Uh, let's, let's slot him into the middle order. What they forgot was that, yep, he is good at playing spin, but he's normally 30 or 40 runs in before he's facing spin and he's set. It's very hard to start your innings um, against spin, and that was shown. And it was shown in the IPL as well when Finch has come down in the middle order. Um, It hasn't necessarily worked. So the fact that he went back to open, scored a century, I think... um, I think the Australian selectors can kind of cross his name out in the middle order and just keep him up there at the top. I actually thought it was a a bold move to put him down the order because he had done well for Australian T20 cricket, batting at number five. But you're right, playing against spin bowling as a fresh batsman, very, very difficult. And it's shown by the statistics in the series. The two leading wicket-takers were Moeen Ali and Adil Rashid. Um, Finch has even said when he was interviewed over there that they spent a whole lot of time over there practicing against spin bowling. This series wasn't supposed to be a big spinners series, but it turns out Australia have crumbled to that again. Uh, Lisa, how do we how do we fix this in in twelve months' time? Well, you could certainly see that they were trying to come up with alternatives. Uh, 
I think Justin Langer is getting the guys to learn how to sweep. It's, it doesn't come naturally to a lot of Australian cricketers. We play on fast, bouncy wickets. We're taught to hit straight down the ground in the V. We're not taught to hit behind. If you look at England and where they're scoring areas, a lot of their players play those little lap sweeps, reverse sweeps, all those type of things, whether it be to spin or pace. Uh, whereas in Australia, there's not too many batsmen that are able to do that. Uh, I think Marcus Stoinis got out in the last ODI trying to sweep and you could see that he almost kind of premeditated it because he wants to yeah. to get that shot in. Um, I think that's that's the right way to try and um, to counter all the spin that, that is affecting the Australians. But you've also got to remember that Moen Ali and Adil Rashid didn't turn the ball a lot. That's the thing. They're not big turners of the ball. So we're getting out to the straight ones or, you know, they're wrong-uns or, um, or when they do bowl a loose one because they're bowling in such consistent line and lengths, their loose delivery is like we're shanking it straight to the one person that's out in the deep. Um, so th- that, that's frustrating, but we've got to get better at spin. How you're going to do it is you come up with different ways. And, and it's not necessarily finding the boundary. I think, you know, as a player, I used to always go, if I don't like a certain bowler, I'll just get up the other end. Yeah. Yeah. Get one and get up the other end. And I think that's the, been the Australian way, hasn't it? That when a spinner comes on, especially in Australia, you try and blast them out of the attack. And it was very clear in that first one day. When Finch got out, he tried a big heave over long off, um, slice it to backward point or to gully, and he was out. And he got a couple of wickets like that, Mo and Ali. I think maybe with those guys, the game plan should be let's milk them for 45, 50 runs off their 10 overs and then try and attack the quick bowlers. Uh, again, it's just all the different tactics, the different layers of one-day cricket. Spinners for Australia, Ashton Agar uh, took four wickets in the series. Nathan Lyon played a couple of games in the back end. What did you make of their performances, Lisa? Agar got better. Uh, he bowled quite quick and flat and, and just tries to kind of uh, limit the amount of room he gives to the right-handers. I think for his development and for him to be Australia's leading one-day spinner, is he's got to be able to really turn the ball as well. We didn't see him turn it a lot. Um, I think, you know, in one-day cricket, you you can go through that, I just want to be economical or I need to be a wicket-taking bowler. And he's got to be able to, to kind of flick the switch between both. At the moment, we didn't necessarily see that in the ODIs that, you know, he's a big turning um, left-arm orthodox. Nathan Lyon, on the other hand, is an attacking spin bowler. He bowled good shape. Um, he troubled the batsman regularly. Uh, whilst he didn't pick up a wicket in the last ODI, I think he only went for 32 runs. Um, the first ODI, he made the breakthrough between Roy and Bairstow uh, and then didn't come back on until England only needed 16 runs. Um, so I think Tim Payne might have got that one wrong. But I think moving forward potentially to have Agar and Lyon there, I think Australia is in, in good hands. Because also Agar is good with the bat. He showed that. He mm. got 240-odds, I think. Um, he he can strike the ball well. He's a good fielder. So he's the complete package. But as a former spinner, I'd like to see him turn the ball a little bit more. I think we were talking about this just beforehand, but his... Uh, roller team, I feel like he's a defensive bowler. Even coming on uh, in the opening overs, mm. he wasn't bold. He wasn't coming on to take wickets necessarily. He was just there to try and 
cramp the run rate. Um, maybe that's something they can look at and give him a bit more license to flight the ball, try and get more spin and, and take a few more wickets. Um, Alex Carey came in for the last couple of one days, uh, but he played alongside Tim Payne. Carey made 50 runs in the series, 44 in that last game, and looked good coming in late uh, in the innings. Uh, Tim Payne only scored 36 runs for the series. At least Mike Hussey said last week he doesn't know if Tim Payne will be the captain in 12 months' time. I think Australia have to make a decision pretty soon which way they're going to go with that because if you want Alex Carey to be the hitter and the wicketkeeper batter down the order for the World Cup, he needs to get some games in an international level. Well, if if Australia want to keep Tim Payne as captain, then you can't have two keepers in the side. Uh, the Australian women's side have it at the moment with Elisa Healy and Beth Mooney. Um, but Alex Carey showed that he looked pretty comfortable in the middle, that he can play the spin as well. I think his first scoring shot, which was his third delivery, was a reverse sweep for four. Mm. Uh, And he looked good at playing. It's a natural stroke for him. Uh, I think he needs to come in during the middle part. Uh, His role within the side will be that, to to finish off an innings, to keep the scoreboard ticking and and being able to score off the spinners. Uh, Tim Payne, the Australian selectors need to decide... Obviously, he's come in and they kind of want potentially, you know, one or two captains. They don't want three different captains for their form, all, all their formats. I understand that. But he, I don't know if he's the right man moving forward because he's potentially taking a spot away from someone who will be in the team come the World Cup. Uh, so you've got to potentially find another one-day captain within that, um, that ODI side because I think Alex Carey deserves, based on his performance the last um, ODI, to be in when the, when the Australians play their next ODI. He needs to be there. Uh, Tim Payne, it depends. It depends what they think is more important, culturally getting everything right or learning how to win because the Australians haven't been able to win an ODI series for a very long time and... You want to create that winning mo- culture, that winning momentum as you build up towards the World Cup. Six months ago, Lisa, uh, this series was looking like a preview for Australia's campaign at the World Cup. Um, everything that's happened, there are seven f- first-choice players, if you can throw in Chris Lynn there with the bowlers and Smith, Warner and Mitch Marsh. They're all expected to come back in at some stage, probably for the World Cup. Looking at the way the series unfolded, do you read anything to Australia's World Cup chances in 12 or so months' time? You can't. Unfortunately, just because of the fact that there's there's six or seven players that are missing from this side, what it does show is um, players that potentially who could be selected in the squad moving forward, um, and again, just working out who might be good enough in those conditions or how, as an Australian team, they need to tackle those conditions, those grounds, because some of them, you know, very short, straight, or you know very long square you know how what lengths do we bowl so the intel that they would have had from playing this series will hopefully hold them in good stead come the world cup but do you look at the the whitewash and go australia no chance of the world cup next year no you can't do that all right give us your um i'm putting you on the spot here give us your semi-finalists for the world cup next year and we're a year out yeah go on england India, Australia, Pakistan. Pakistan. Well, they won the Champions Trophy. That's what I'm basing it on. Well, that's that's good enough for me. (laughs) What are you for? Uh, I'm probably going to go very similar, but I always like New Zealand 
in these tournaments. I think if they get it right, Guptill, Williamson, Munro, Southie, Bolt, and if they get it, if they get Sodu to bowl well, wrist spinners are dominating. And if he can take his game up to not even a whole level, just half a level, he's got a great wrong and he's performed well. I think New Zealand will be a threat. So, so then who's missing out? Oh, England. They'll choke. All oh, right, okay. <laughs> no, <laughs> I like your Probably thinking. Pakistan. <laughs> I don't know. I'm Pat Cummins, and you're listening to the Unplayable Podcast. Well, yes, so while there was lots of change to the one-day side uh, that took on England, the T20 side is going to be pretty familiar to the one that won the Tri-Series uh, back in February. They were undefeated, in fact. Uh, Warner, Chris Lynn, Ben Dorshus and Am Zampa won't be there in their place. Mitch Swepson, Nick Manninson, Jai Richardson and Jack Wildermuth. They're the new faces. Uh, we've probably got a bit of expectation on this side now. They're the second team in the world, number two team in the world. Australia's one-day team is now back to number six. So in a one-off game in Birmingham, what are, you, what are your expectations from that game? Well, certainly the Australian team will enjoy having some new blood in the camp uh, who certainly haven't been scarred by this ODI series. My concerns for the Australian team is someone like a Darcy Short isn't firing. Uh, there's some players that haven't taken a lot of confidence from their performances in this ODI series that will then have to front up in the T20, whereas England... They're on, they're on cloud nine at the moment. You know, from a batting perspective, everything's going well. From a bowling perspective, everything's going well. Whatever they touch turned to gold, it seemed to be throughout that series. So you'd expect that they'd take that momentum into the T20 game. But it's a great opportunity, again, for these players to show can they back up from the T20 series win over in New Zealand to, to, this, um, to this one-off because, you know, one thing that Ricky Ponting has said when he, um, he was involved in the squad back in February is they want to start to create a similar group of players and can keep a core group going forward. So come the t- next T20 World Cup for the men, that you know hasn't been chopping and changing. And so by keeping this core group, you'd like to think that they've got some fond memories of that New Zealand series and are able to, to perform well in this one-off. Aaron Finch is going to be the captain of this side. Alex Kerry is the vice captain. There are so many exciting players in this Australian team to look out for. I'm going to look at two. One is Nick Maddinson. And though he doesn't have a state contract at the moment, his white ball form in the past couple of years has been fantastic. Uh, to see him hopefully get to crack at the top of the order, he can be so destructive. At least what are you expecting out of, out of Nick Maddinson? Um, and he's probably got a bit of a point to prove. Well, this is the perfect chance, isn't it? To send a strong message to say, look, everyone, you think that I'm not good enough or you know, you're not willing to give me a contract, I can still play some pretty impressive cricket. So very rarely does a player get the chance to, to represent their country when they don't have a state contract uh, and he's got that opportunity. So I'd like to think that he's done everything in his power to prepare correctly um, and as long as you know, his mind is clear and he's focused on that one job, he should perform well. And the other guy I don't want to see is Mitch Swepson, the leg spinner from Queensland. We're speaking about how leg spinners have dominated world cricket in recent times. Uh, he can spin the ball big. He has got a wrong and he's got a few variations. Uh, at least as a, as a spinner yourself, what do you like about Mitch Swepson? Like you said, he spins the ball big. I'm a big believer that you've got to turn the ball. That's why they call us spinners. Um, otherwise, you'd just be bowling these nude nuts down, down the wicket. But... Uh, a yeah, great opportunity for him. As you mentioned, even in the IPL, wrist spinners again dominated in the top wicket takers. 
Um, the economy rates were always good. So there's pressure on the leg spinner. Um, one, you know, not that long ago, you were okay if they, you know, they jagged you a couple of wickets, but you'd expect them to go for a lot of runs. Whereas now there's the expectation that they keep the runs down. So a big call for him, a great opportunity for him again. Um, and it's hard because, you know, someone like a Nick Madison and Mitch Swepson, they're coming in having not really played that much cricket for this one-off game. And they've got to go. They've got to press start straight away. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they, they cope with that challenge. And even if they do miss out, there is a, tri- a T20 tri-series in Zimbabwe, which follows early next month, featuring Pakistan, all games in Harare. Uh, that'll be pretty exciting. And that'll be another evolution for this team under Justin Langer and Ricky Ponting. It must just be such a thrill to have Dale uh, and... Ricky Ponting's experience there. So many games for Australia, and every time you speak to a, one of the Australian squad members about the influence of Ricky Ponting, you know it's like he comes in and everybody just puffs their chest up a little bit more, and they they don't even think about not finishing their rovers or staying longer in the nets. Everyone just hangs around him and just tries to act like a giant sponge. Well, I would imagine the stories that both of them are sharing, you know, of an evening time or just around the group, everyone would be lapping it up, similar to when Belinda Clark comes back into the Australian women's side. Whenever she speaks, everyone listens, you know, because these are legends of the game, not only here in Australia but globally. Um, Having been at the IPL and and speaking to a number of players at the Delhi Daredevils where Ricky Ponting was coach, you'd always ask, you know, what's the most exciting thing about being part of this side? And they're saying, to be coached by Ricky Ponting. Um, His record as a coach during that IPL wasn't great, uh, but certainly what the lessons that he's teaching the players and and, um, will no doubt help the players in their development. So to have the likes of JL and and Ricky Ponting within this T20 side, I think is, is really crucial because that's the one trophy that the men's side hasn't won yet. That's right. Uh, that game's going to be on Thursday morning, Australian Eastern Standard Time. From I'm not staying up for that one. You're not on that one? No. <laughs> I think it's from Are about. you? Are you going to watch every ball? Uh, look, I'll tell you what, I'll probably get up for the final five overs. So that's <laughs> What's that, 7 7 a.m.? <laughs> yeah, that's about right. <laughs> I'm Marcus Stoinis. And you're listening to the Unplayable Podcast. Lisa Healy, welcome. Congratulations, the Breakers captain. How did you find out? Firstly, thanks for having me. Um, found out fairly accidentally while ha- while having a coffee down in the cafe downstairs at the SCG. <laughs> Andrew Jones, the CEO, came over and uh, decided to have a chat and um, accidentally let it slip. So um, it was quite a shock to me and uh, probably a shock to many people out there, but um yeah, I'm excited by the challenge and hopefully we can be just as successful. Where did you think the captaincy was going to land when our Black Hall retired? Well, obviously the natural choice would be the vice-captain of Australia, Rachel Haynes, who <laughs> plays in the New South Wales Breakers. So um, that was uh, where I um, had my money down, but uh, obviously it didn't land that way. I think, um, according to her, she wants to focus on her cricket a little bit. So um, yeah, I guess I'm the only one that's really around this pre-season, so um, naturally it probably fell to me, but uh, yeah, we'll have to see what happens. Typical Elisa Healy, <laughs> selling herself short. Mm-hmm. Got to remember that she did uh, lead the, the Sydney Sixers to their first title because Elise Perry was injured and she took over. And <clears throat> having been in that side, she was very cool, calm and collected. She may not have felt like it inside, but uh, she certainly has shown over a long period of time that she has the skills to be a leader. 
I was going to say, what did you take away from that short stint in the Sixers captaincy? Not that much, to be honest with you. Like, <laughs> I feel like I just sort of swept in there and um, grabbed the trophy. But uh, no, I did. I enjoyed the little stint, I think, um, to come in when the, I guess, when the pressure was on um, in those two big games. And I guess to only put 120 on the board in the final and somehow defend it. Um, obviously, we had a quality side, but I guess I learned a little bit out of that and um, can hopefully take that into this. But I haven't really captained properly for a little while, so it could be an interesting experience, but one that I'm looking forward to. Now, Alex has done the job for a number of years. What have you learned from her being captain? Um, yeah, Alex is obviously a pretty incredible captain um, for a long period of time and took over from the lady sitting next to me. Um, so... It's uh, there's some pretty big shoes to fill in that regard, but um, I think Alex and I are very are very different um, captaining styles. I think, uh, but one thing I'll definitely take from Alex was her, her passion for the game and her passion for the breakers, and that's something that's not lost on on anybody, especially around this organisation. So, for me, it's um, probably about bringing bringing that passion and, and keeping it within the group. But we'll probably go about it slightly different ways. But um, Alex, being Alex, has already sent me a message and saying that. Um, she's super excited for me and is uh, more than happy to be a sounding board wherever needed and um, happy to help. So um, it's great to have the support of, of someone like herself. Now, you're such an explosive player. Are we going to see explosive captaincy? Lisa, you've experienced it. Explosive, is that the right word to use? Well, certainly when she's uh, with bat in hand and probably when she's uh, keeping behind the stumps, coming, you know, you know, things that come out of her mouth are explosive sometimes. Uh, I'd expect that Elisa Healy will do things a little bit differently. Um, she's always read the game really well. Um, one thing she does do extremely well is work with a group of players and her communication is great. So um, I think we'll, we'll see a few funky things, which is great. As a commentator, you want to talk about some weird things that the captains are doing and why they're doing it. There may not be a reason why Elisa Healy is doing certain things, but boy, we'll have fun talking about it in the commentary box. Boy, the commentators will shit can it. <laughs> <laughs> That's what she's saying. Are you going to go instinct? Is that part of the way you lead? Yeah, I, I think so. I, I, I'd like to think that I'm... I'm I'll be pretty prepared and obviously um, you sort of have to be to an extent but in saying that cricket's such a funny game and, and playing the shorter formats of the game I think you do have to rely on your instinct a little bit and um, you know we know a lot of the players that we're playing against in the WNCL so um, to come up with different ways to get them out I think is actually quite crucial but uh, we've got such an exciting squad so many bowlers so um, for me I feel like it's quite a simple one and it's probably just about throwing the ball to the right person at the right time. Now, at the moment, the men's Australian team captain is the wicket keeper Tim Payne. The New South Wales Blues new captain is Peter Neville. Being a keeper, do you think that gives you a little bit of an extra edge being the captain? We're taking over. <laughs> <Look> That's <out>. right. <laughs> Alex Carey, vice-captain. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, yeah, well, I think you're naturally a leader behind the stumps as a wicket keeper already. And um, in my mind, I think the vice-captaincy is the most suitable role for a wicketkeeper, but all of a sudden now we're all popping up as captains, so we'll see what happens. Watch this face. But, um, yeah, like I said, you, you, I think you're naturally a leader behind the stumps. You're, you're leading the fielders. Um, you're sort of helping the captain where you can, seeing angles and things like that. So, um, yeah, it, it'll probably come natural to most wicketkeepers. But, um, yeah, it, it's, it is a change for me, I think, um, to probably think more more about the game beforehand normally for me it's just about while I'm out there and sort of reacting to situations so to put that little bit of extra time into it and and obviously um, be the same old midge around the group I think um, will be hopefully the right balance for this group.
Yeah, New South Wales is at 19 from 22 WNCL titles. That's an incredible, unprecedented record. Coming in with that behind you, does it give you a little bit more pressure knowing just how well the state's done in the past? Yeah, I'm nervous as all hell because uh, <laughs> you don't want to be that the one that lets it down. Mind you, we did have a little uh, blip a couple of years ago when we lost in the final to South Australia. So uh, I was a part of that group, but I wasn't skipper. So... Um, yeah, it's a, a little bit of extra pressure. It makes me a little bit nervous. But at the same time, we've got such an amazing group of talented cricketers in this in this squad that I think for us it's it's all about managing those players and hopefully getting them in the right headspace um, to go out there and perform for New South Wales. I think that's going to be most important for us. And um, there's going to be so much competition for spots in this side that I think it's a really healthy thing um, for cricket and obviously for cricket in New South Wales. So... Yeah, number one role for me is to get everyone in the right space to compete and, and hopefully they'll get out there and do what they're capable of. Exciting to have Ash Gardner back. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Um, I think a few of the other players are a little disappointed. Uh, there's a few spots are closing up pretty quickly, but um, it's great to see her back in the blue. I think it's where she belongs. Uh, she grew up here and um, to see her come back and to see her as sort of a, a different player um, in coming back is really exciting and to see her with that added experience playing at the top level and um, she's just a more focused cricketer and I think she's going to be pretty pretty damaging for us and um, yeah, hopefully we can um, use her correctly. So while the breakers are undergoing pre-season, records are getting smashed over there in England at the moment in the UK. Uh, just to go off a few of them, the news on White Ferns, they put 400 on the board three times against Ireland. They've got 491 games. That's a world record. Amelia Kerr, she's got 232 not out. She took the record off our own Belinda Clark. She also took five in the same game. And then in the T20 tri-series over there between England, New Zealand and South Africa, the, the world record got broken and then it got broken three hours later. The poor South Africans <laughs> copped it twice in one day. What do you think the reason is behind all these big world records? I mean, the Ireland one, maybe because they're not as experienced, but New Zealand, South Africa and Ireland, they're all, uh, and England, they're all experienced nations. Why do you, what do you put it down to? Yeah, interesting one. I think, in my mind, the South African bowling attack is one of the best in the world going around. So um, for them to be... Plus 200 in two games in one day is uh, quite remarkable. I think the fact that I'm saying two games in one day may be a factor. But um, apart from that, I think playing on really small grounds in Ireland, I think we experienced that a couple of years ago in the Ashes. We took a little mid-Ashes break and went and played Ireland in some T20s. And I remember Grace Harris blocking the ball for six. So um, those small grounds don't help, especially with the power that New Zealand have. But in saying that, I think Ireland were missing... I think I was speaking to Kim Garth um, about what was going on. I think she said four of the players that played would be in their regular 11. So I think depth might be an issue there. But in saying that, I think it's it's really exciting to see those scores in a sense. Like uh, I'm not a bowler, so um, couldn't care less. But um, to see those scores and to see big hitting like that is really exciting. But in saying that, um, you want a fair contest and it obviously wasn't happening. So um, there may be some opportunity to look at um, some rule changes moving forward. I think we've been with four out for a little while and um, I think it's been really exciting but some of these scores are starting to get ridiculous and I think the bowlers are getting a bit frustrated. So with the flat wickets that we're playing on, I think potentially five out could be a good move and um, you know the 60-metre boundaries might not be that applicable anymore. We might have to push them out a little bit. I think people are clearing them with ease. I think that's just a, the nature of the beast and sides being professional or semi-professional now and actually getting the opportunity to train like full-time athletes. I think we're seeing 
that flow on um, in the athleticism of the game. So, um, yeah, it could be a little rule change moving forward. But in saying that, it's exciting for me to see and uh, no doubt some others. Lisa Healy just hit the nail on the head. Rule changes probably need to be looked at. Uh, oh, I think we can all understand the reasons why it was brought in You, you will, as the game was progressing and T20 cricket was the vehicle to promote women's game. You wanted good scores, big scores. Uh, you have to put in the factor that it was at Taunton as well and for us both playing at Taunton, it, Taunton it's an absolute road. There's nothing in it for the bowlers and such a quick outfield. Uh, so there has to be a look to potentially have the fire fielders out moving forward. The game is, is stronger. The, the, the players are more powerful. The ball is being bowled with more pace as well. So that means it's going to go off the bat even quicker. So all good signs for women's cricket, absolutely. Uh, and it, it, I think it's a natural progression that, you know, that ICC look at potentially the rule change probably after this, um, the next World Cup, which is uh, in the West Indies in November. Speaking of that, the release got announced overnight. Uh, Australia got four games in their squad, in their pool. They've got Pakistan, New Zealand, India, and the qualifier. All those games are in Guyana. Australia's only been there a couple of times ever, and the last time was in that 2010 World T20 where Australia won. So, uh, what are your thoughts on the the schedule release overnight and playing in that that tournament? Yeah, really excited. Hopefully, uh, um Hopefully I'm part of that squad to go over there. The 2010 World Cup there in the West Indies was um, my first proper World Cup experience. I wasn't meant to be on that tour. Jodie Fields got injured two weeks beforehand and I got the phone call to pack your bag and head over to the West Indies. And uh, It was a bit of a Kentucky tour for me, but um, thoroughly enjoyed myself and obviously to get the win back then as well was um, pretty special. But, yeah, looking forward to getting back over there. I think um, – Playing in new conditions, I think uh, I've definitely never been to Guyana and I think um, Mitch has said he's only been there once so can't really call on him for some, any information. Um, but I'm sure we'll prepare um, as best we can for those conditions. But, yeah, it's exciting. I think the T20 World Cup is um, a nice little fixture in the calendar for all the all the nations and I guess the, the added bonus of us um, playing a qualifier, it could be really exciting. We're not quite sure who it's going to be. And um, just being in P&G recently, the girls are headed off there last week. So it could be really exciting if a team like Papua New Guinea qualified for the for the T20 World Cup. So, um, yeah, exciting times. And hopefully um, we can snatch that silverware back off the West Indies. What are you expecting over there for the wickets? Is it going to be a subcontinent-type series where there's going to be a lot of low, slow decks, spinners going to come into it or maybe a bit of pace back in the back in the wickets? Yeah, I'm not too sure. I think I think you have to prepare for a, for low slow wickets. I think that's um, probably the most um, difficult wicket for us here in Australia um, to play on. So I think if we prepare prepare for that and adapt to if we get a fast bouncy wicket, I think we'll we'll be okay with that. But um, seeing that Test match in Barbados, I think that's where they're playing at the moment. Um, it looked like pretty quick early on, a lot of catches behind the wickets. So you never know. We could get some fast bouncy wickets, but like I said, if we prepare for low slow turning wickets, I think we're going to be better off. Only the two top two teams qualify. You're looking at your pool. It's uh, tough, isn't it? Yeah, bloody tough. Uh, I don't know how we drew that one. Um, <laughs> but in saying that, the I think the top sort of six teams in that T20 lineup are, are all beating one another at the moment. So it, it could be fairly chaotic come November. But um, yeah, look, I, I think we'll take a bit of confidence out of playing India just recently and, and beating them and um, we got a few games against New Zealand coming up so hopefully we can beat them and take some confidence out of that but uh, we're playing really good T20 cricket at the moment, the squad's in a really nice place so hopefully we can 
carry that on and um, come November we'll be ready to rock and roll. Is there a little bit of added incentive, extra motivation after losing the final in 2016? Yeah, yeah a little bit. I think um, we actually played a really good, a fairly decent game of cricket and lost. So that's sort of what I took out of that game. And that's just the nature of T20 cricket. You could play really well and lose. So, um, yeah, a little bit of motivation to, to go over to their um, home turf and to try and steal the trophy back off them. I think it'll be bloody hard work to do. I think they've probably been building for this for a couple of years, knowing that it's going to be in their in their home country. So, um, yeah, it's exciting. And, yeah, hopefully we can get that revenge. Lisa, you would have seen a lot of the women's cricket over the past couple of years. Do you think the gap between the sides is getting narrower and narrower? Absolutely. You just go based on recent results as well. Even in the Asia Cup, um, Bangladesh beat India, um, Sri Lanka as well won some matches that they weren't expected to. So in, within the T20 format, it has really um, narrowed the gap between what we would normally say is the top four and the rest. Uh, that means come West Indies, as Elise has already kind of indicated, that slow, low wicket might actually allow a lot of the subcontinent teams to come back into the competition. Uh, so it's going to be exciting and because I, I don't think there's a clear winner at the moment. I, I don't think you can actually say one country is your, your favourite. I think there's probably two or three that could potentially win win the, the trophy. So uh, it's all about preparation for all the teams as they build up towards it, um, who's going to be best prepared, who can adapt to the conditions uh, the quickest, and who's going to win those those crucial moments. Because in T20 cricket, it might be just two balls. That, that, may, that might be the difference between the winner and the loser. So... Uh, it bodes for a very exciting uh, World T20 and it's the first standalone event for, for the women's game. Uh, obviously the next one is in 2020 here in Australia but uh, I think it'll be great to have the women you know, at the forefront. Uh, they're the main event, the main attraction and, and fingers crossed that the local crowds get behind them. Absolutely. Who are you picking? Are you going to pick Australia? I'm not going to pick right now. <laughs> got to do my homework. Oh, come on. Australia? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going New well, Zealand. Well, that's who I want to win. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not. It's a pretty good shout. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> What's next for you, Alyssa, in terms of national duties? Have you got a camp up in Brisbane next week? Is that right? Yes, you're well informed. Uh, <laughs> yes, we do. We've uh, smack bang in the middle of pre-season at the moment um, here at New South Wales and um, heading up to Brisbane to train on some turf wickets um, instead of the um, AstroTurf here in Sydney, but um, heading up there next week to hopefully get together and train as a group, which is really crucial. And then obviously players are off to the KSL, so we'll split off for a while before we come back um, pre the New Zealand series. So big training block for, for us, but at the moment I'm actually really enjoying that. I'm enjoying being around these these New South Wales girls. They're all young and excited about cricket, which is really fun to be around. So um, yeah, building to a big sort of 12 months come September. Thank you very, very much for coming on and all the best, uh, not only in your new role as a Len Lease Breakers captain, but for Australia and for everything else. So good luck and thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. What's the next assignment for you? Globetrotting commentator, philanthropist, what's next? Well, the next thing for me from a commentary point of view is um, the women's uh, internationals. So in September, end of September, for, against the New Zealand White Ferns and uh, straight after the AFL Grand Final, be throwing it straight to North Sydney Oval for the, for the game. So we expect a lot of eyeballs 
clicking in and, and um, watching that game, if not coming out to North Sydney Oval, which is is almost now the home of of women's cricket in such a cute, unique ground um, and balls will be flying left, right and centre from the White Ferns and uh, the Australian women's side. So that's next from my commentary point of view. In the meantime, doing bits and pieces, the Chapel Foundation, I'm on the board there. Um, a bit of coaching, uh, which is always a bit of fun and, and obviously a bit of media stuff every now and again, but uh, enjoying some quality time at home, even though it is really cold. It's not, it's not that bad. Well, you're a guy from Melbourne. I just think this is cold. It is It is cold. It is very cold. Well, thanks again for coming on the podcast. That's it for this week's episode. Uh, remember, for all your news scores and video from all around the world, head to cricket.com.au. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.